he's not man spreading all over the place like the Swedish Jesus, which is so funny to me. He was just always sitting with legs as far apart as possible. (laughs) Big dick Jesus. Hi, I'm Darby. And I'm Abby. And this is Sacrilegiosity. Today we are talking about Jesus Christ Superstar. (laughs) It's almost Easter weekend at time of recording, so it's on the brain for us, kind of. I mean, like, we could do anything for Easter weekend, honestly, but... Jesus Christ Superstar seemed like the right choice. (laughs) Yes, it's thematic. This will go up right after Easter, probably. Funnily enough, there's a much bigger podcast that also released a Jesus Christ Superstar in time for Easter episode (laughs) um, that I got a notification for. Um, Musical Splainings with Lindsay Ellis. Oh. Yeah, I was like, hey, they stole our idea. Well, ours is going to be better, well, so, you know, yeah, don't don't definitely. even worry about them. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm interested when you first saw Jesus Christ Superstar. Like, when did you first listen or watch it? Oh, gosh, I don't remember. It was either the original 1973 movie or it was the 2018 live recording. It was one of those two, and I probably watched one to sort of to try to prepare for the other. So back when the 2018 live recording was first coming out, I watched either one of those two versions. I can't remember now which one I saw first, but I I definitely had already decided I had a thing for Jesus musicals. So I really, I really enjoyed it. (laughs) I, the first time I watched it was similarly a lot later than I think one would think. And it was 20, I think it was 2020. I think I watched it for the first, I watched the NBC 2018 version Mm. for the first time, like in 2020, maybe around Easter. It was when we were in our Oklahoma City apartment. Ah, Grandma House. (laughs) Grandma House. And that was the first time I watched it, which is surprising given I'm a fan of musicals in general. Andrew Lloyd Webber specifically, I will defend him. (laughs) And... (laughs) And I'm a Bible major that I did not watch Jesus Christ Superstar sooner. (laughs) Oh, yeah. For for those of you who don't already, like, live in our lives, um, we're we're both, like, uh, veteran theater kids. So any musicals that we talk about, it's going to be really loaded for us. (laughs) Because we were in those trenches. I think the thing about Jesus Christ Superstar that fits really well with the concept of this podcast is... In our intro, talk a bit about how, like, things, how for me, um, there were certain things about, like, religion and church and faith that were, like, taken super seriously Mm -hmm. and you couldn't, like, make light of. And Jesus Christ Superstar, I had heard of it, but I was wary of it for this reason. I was like, oh, that seems, like, weird or probably bad. You know, like, it wasn't something that I would have considered until, you know, later on in my faith development and that it's something that would probably be considered offensive and I probably would have been offended by it had I watched it in like high school it's like it's a lot if you're not already kind of coming to it as a bit of an outsider to the whole Easter story if it's something that you've been raised on in a very specific way then it 
it directly challenges a lot of what we've been taught to think, which is part of what makes it such a good story. And also Mm -hmm. part of, you know, the evangelical controversy surrounding it. I guess not just evangelical, but, you know, it's it's not the right kind of Jesus media for you to be watching. No. I guess to just go over the background a bit, Tim Rice wrote the lyrics and sort of started the concept for this musical. And then Andrew Lloyd Webber did the music. And it's a rock opera. So this is like, it's a rock opera. <laughs> and it's sung through um, the entire way. It tells a story of Holy Week, basically, from Judas's perspective. And so that's, and it does some other really interesting things that we'll talk about that I would argue it's not just Judas's perspective, though that's the initial framing. They struggle to get it staged because of worries of controversy and actual controversy. And eventually, after some time, found broader support in like liberal Christian churches, but they struggled to get the financial backing. So they first released it as a concept album, and then they staged it and then maybe made a movie or they made a movie and then staged it after. I don't remember that order. The concept album was released in 1970 and the movie was released in 1973. And it's a 70s rock opera, which I think is really important. (laughs) One of the best things about Jesus Christ Superstar, like any staging of it that you do is when they lean super heavily into the 70s aesthetic and like musical style. That's one of my favorite ways to see this perform. They always do that with Judas's After He Dies song. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like that part always goes super like... It's not quite disco, but it's almost disco. Like you really you really can't avoid it with that last song. But no. the rest of it, you can choose how 70s you make it. And my favorite adaptations always lean really heavy into the 70s rock of it all. So in prep for this, because prior to deciding to have this be our topic, I'd only seen the NBC Live version. And so I decided to try to watch a couple different versions in prep. And so I watched the 1973 movie and I watched the 2014 Swedish tour. The whole thing's on YouTube. It's legendary. I'm excited to talk about that version specifically. (laughs) We will get to it. And I also just watched some, I watched some like little clips. I didn't fully watch through any other ones to sort of see the variety of staging and interpretation that people took. Do we want to talk about the movie first, the 73 movie? Yeah, sure. Oh, but real quick, while we're while we're kind of on this aspect of how it's told from Judas's perspective, but not exactly, something that I think that we both maybe should put on our reading list, um, but there's this graphic novel called Judas by Jeff Loveness. It's also kind of a, you know, retelling from Judas's perspective, recontextualization of the whole story. So I, I haven't read it yet and I've been wanting to for ages. But if we, you know, if we ever get around to it, bringing in a graphic novel could be could be cool to boost our repertoire. Ooh. And yeah. is Godspell already on our list? Godspell is not on our list. Okay, we have to talk about Godspell. That's my favorite oh Bible my musical. Here's a weird thing. I haven't seen Godspell. Oh my god, it's so good. Have you have you listened to the cast album at least? I think I've listened to some of it, not even <sighs> all of it. I don't know how I haven't seen Godspell. It's so good. There's a, there's a lot of production recordings out there of just like high schools mm-hmm. doing it and honestly, that's one of the best ways to watch it cuz that was like the way I first watched it, but Godspell is like 
also a 70s Jesus musical. That was a thing, apparently, between Jesus Christ Superstar and this. The 1973 movie. I'm really fond of the 73 movie. I love it. <laughs> I really liked it. I um, So it was my first time watching it. And the intro is so weird. And then they never, like, readdress what was going on in the yeah, intro it's like, of the movie. It's like, you know, they filmed it on location. So I guess that frame is, like, trying to draw attention to, we are filming this in the actual place where this stuff went down. And it's, like, a whole band of people coming out to film on location. But it's also staged in this specific way. And then they bring it back in at the end, where we're meant to, like, take something from it. They filmed it in, in like, the Middle East? They filmed it, like... Out- I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent it, but that's, that's what I think, you know... Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, let me make sure I'm not, like, just lying right now. But I'm pretty sure that that's the whole deal with the with the movie. Yeah, it was filmed in Israel's Negev Desert. Oh, yeah, it was filmed on location then. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that that's part of the framing device of the movie, which is part of what I really like. Because it draws attention to, you know, whenever you have a play within a play, I'm going to be obsessed with it. And so they really make it clear to you that there's a dividing line between the people that you see out of costume at the beginning and end and the people in costume, like performing the music and everything. The coming to the desert and unloading the bus is also a performance. So it's this dramatized version of the real actual people coming and showing up to film on location and like getting ready to do this production while the overture is playing for us. So like that setup is just baller to me. <laughs> like I just so so okay. good. <laughs> that is so cool. I did not that makes that make way more sense to me because I didn't realize that they were filming like on location like that. And so yeah, okay, that makes more sense because I was like they don't address this and it feels like they tried to do something and it didn't work, but no, that actually works. It's, so. it's a cool <laughs> metatextual moment you know (laughs) yeah another thing about the way that they frame this movie how they sort of set the stage both in this historical setting of being near the area where these events historically took place and they also bring it very current to what was going on in the world at that time and so you see tanks and planes and this is like kind of close to the end of the vietnam war and it would have been taking place just as like U.S. drafts were ending, but during the Vietnam War. And so throughout you get this like this anti-war sentiment. And that's a big part of Judas's character in this movie um, is him sort of seeing the planes and tanks and things and like being concerned about what very real conflict would look like. Also, I think I would imagine gives premise to how later interpretations would costume their their Jesus followers in that the Jesus followers in this are like hippies. Um, So they're the countercultural movement contemporary to the time. And so in later interpretations and the ones we'll be talking about, the way they represent that is through like leading into kind of rock and punk and queer aesthetics. And so they sort of have these like what are the counterculture of the time and that's how they're going to represent 
the Jesus followers right. for the text. But then there's this like delicious little contrast of it seems like everyone but Judas and Jesus is anticipating this like all out war being raised against Rome. So mm-hmm. like you know they're they're dressed as they're dressed as nonviolence hippies, but like in the you know in the story itself, like as they're enthusiastically following Jesus, what everyone's afraid of is what if he chooses to mobilize these people? And they reference that in like the um oh my god the the Simon the Simon Zealot song where everyone's mm. saying "Touch me, touch me, Jesus, kiss me, kiss me, Jesus." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like the the danger of the potential that that movement would have. So like it's really it's really closely tied in with like actual attitudes of real counterculture movement. So they they draw that parallel super intentionally. Yeah, and it I mean it just works really well with the texts that they're taking this from. The musical relies heavily on the Gospel of John for a lot of the, um, especially Jesus's lines, are mostly pulled from the Gospel of John and what he sings and some of those attitudes, which makes sense because depending on how those lines are delivered, um, which is another really fun thing about this musical, more so than I think any musical that I can think of is that like depending on the way you sing and deliver these lines it changes the entire meaning which is why it was um which is why I had so much fun watching so many different versions um because it really really impacts it and um depending on how Jesus delivers some of these lines and these lines that come from the gospel of John he comes across as kind of an asshole yeah like he's he's very he's very distant most of the time and no one really knows what he means which like I feel like in a lot of evangelical circles if you choose to address that it's like oh silly quirky Jesus or like oh my god I can't believe they didn't know what he was saying like it was like putting the blame on the people around him for not interpreting him correctly rather than like imagine if someone said this to you what would you make of that (laughs) yeah it's like i'm trying to see if i wrote down in my notes any specific lines where this is just like very clear I i can i can think of a few maybe standout examples like a lot of Jesus's lines are about like trying to shift and redirect attention, which can come across mm-hmm. as kind of shady during what's the buzz. Like when we actually first meet the character of Jesus, he's like, why are you so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow? You know, just, just worry about today. Do what you mm-hmm. do what you can for today. There will always be poor people. Like why, you know, why are we trying to solve every problem at once? We can't do that. You have me right now. So like take advantage of that opportunity. It's like, okay, damn, Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> And it makes sense that like Judas would be angry at that. Right. Like that's an asshole thing to tell your friend. I mean, like <laughs> Judas was also being kind of an asshole in that moment. But like this is not the way to resolve that situation. Yeah, and it's also, I think, worth noting that because they pull so heavily from the Gospel of John, um, which is 
the latest gospel, like the last one to be written, and it's the most theological. And it's the one that is making the strongest case or like kind of laying out a case for Jesus being like the son of God, Christ, in a way that isn't as present in the earlier gospels. And I meant to review my gospel of John history before this podcast and did not get around to it. So if you are listening to this and know things and I get it wrong, let me know. <laughs> but I'm doing the best. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from what I remember. Um and that this that Jesus is set up to be like pretty much shown like Jesus is divine in the gospel of John. Like in a very literal way that isn't as clear in the earlier gospels. And that understanding like did people know that jesus was like god incarnate when they were following him that seems to be the take that jesus christ superstar relies on for its story at least i think that it relies on some of his followers at least believing that he is god and can bring him salvation because that's in the lyrics yeah. but a lot of a lot of the apostles seem to take it as more of a career decision on their part Especially in like the Last Supper songs, like mm -hmm. the like the tone is kind of jokey, but it seems way more like they believed they were signing up to participate in an eventual rebellion. And I think that's pretty faithful to the gospel texts that, if not like outright rebellion, that was what was brewing in the background. Um, post Jesus, you do see the um, an attempt at a rebellion in. 66 i just read that in a thing today so that's how i know that date <laughs> fancy <laughs> um but that's obviously post jesus but that's what's brewing in the background but exactly what that meant as far as jesus's divinity goes the musical takes kind of an anachronistic approach and he gets called christ a lot which is kind of annoying to me <laughs> but <laughs> It's it it is like played more as a joke occasionally, like as for us the listeners. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is anachronistic. <laughs> yeah, and there is also there's a, a lot of layers because they're doing this sort of like countercultural thing that we had talked about earlier. They're also doing this anachronism, which then I think functions as commentary about Christianity in contemporary society as well. Yeah. And then they're also telling this story from a new perspective, using the text itself as like a guide for that. All of those ideas do sometimes bump up against each other in weird ways. But ultimately, I think it works really well. Like, I am a big fan of this musical. No, it's so good. It's so good. Like, whatever other critiques we might have of it, the whole thing just is so cohesive. And it takes you on its little journey, you know, no matter what adaptation you're watching. I love the 2018 live and I think it's my favorite version for a lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> but I want to talk about the Swedish version first because I want to draw okay. a lot of comparisons yes. between the 2014 <laughs> Swedish and the 2018 NBC. Um, <laughs> so the Swedish, the 20, 2014 Swedish version is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> like, number one, this this is a Swedish production company and the show is done in Swedish. So, like, 
you are not going to know what they're saying if you aren't speaking it <laughs> or you've already got the show memorized. So, <laughs> And then there's the translations. And so I've looked at the, the English, the way that it gets translated into Swedish and then back into English, some of those decisions alone like change the story, which is super interesting. Go into my notes about Swedish version. Oh, <laughs> So the Swedish Jesus is much harsher. My note here says Swedish Jesus insults the hell out of everyone. <laughs> like <laughs> he just like straight up calls them stupid. Like, <laughs> are you guys idiots? And you're like, what what is going on here? Like, um, he's very aloof and he's very sexy. Mm. Swedish Jesus is sexy and they play that. He's wearing like leather pants and like a silk, like mostly exposed yeah. shirt. Like, like <laughs> don't, don't misinterpret us. This is a sexy musical and everybody wants to fuck Jesus in whatever portrayal you've got going on. But like this one really leans in. <laughs> like one way that this version changes the story a lot and to where I had a lot of fun watching this, but ultimately I think I don't like what they did. So I'm going to go on the record and say that, I guess, is that the story of Judas turning Jesus in seems to be prompted by the fact that like Judas and Jesus were lovers and then, or Judas interpreted their relationship as something like that and then he saw jesus with mary Ma magdalene and was jealous and that is what prompted him to turn him into like the authorities mm. which is so weird and they don't change any of the songs they just it's the way that they chose to stage right. it and do the in-between things there's an undercurrent in the songs like, there's an undercurrent, but you could choose whether or not you lean into that, and they really do. Yeah, well, I think that in the songs, like, when you have a charismatic leader, and in this case, it's Jesus, right. um, with intensely devoted followers, you can choose to do with that what you will. I don't think that, like, the 73 version or the NBC version lean the romantic route or the sexual route much at all really other than like intense devotion yeah like these guys are very closely bonded to each other and like there's a lot of trust yeah. there in whatever version you've got the text of the musical is like judas is a really trusted kind of right hand man almost of jesus because he is one of yeah. the biggest critics so like they have that rapport with each other and they have that bond because judas is always scrutinizing what jesus is doing and i think that's very good and that like so the way that the musical as a whole chooses to characterize judas which i love and i think that this is a great way to like humanize judas is they take the stance that judas was essentially tricked by the religious leaders which is in one of the gospels i don't remember which one it's in matthew mark or luke it's not in john and john judas is called a thief but the musical rejects that take and sort of goes with he was tricked by the religious leaders and he didn't know that like jesus would be turned over to the romans he just sort of was hoping that things would settle down somehow but that his reason for that was that he was following jesus to help 
their people and to help the community and help the poor. That is a theme for Judas throughout. And that this whole thing that's going on with Jesus is getting out of hand and it's getting too big. And so that it was coming from a place of concern and a place of love and that Judas was like really worried about his friend. That's the stance that I think that the musical takes. Yeah. That the Swedish version kind of does, but also does not take. Yeah. It takes it in a very different direction of Judas being a jealous lover, which is a choice. <laughs> it, it certainly makes it really fun and spicy. So, you know, props it, to them for that. I started cracking up so hard watching this. Jesus and Mary Magdalene kiss in... I don't know how to love him. Judas sees this and then flips them out of the swing chair that they're sitting in (laughs) and then tries to kiss Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Like, God, it's so, it's so, it's so messy. It's so fun. (laughs) Listen, I am not opposed. I am even pro queer Jesus. But I think the way that it is bad to do that is to make him look like a sexy, like charismatic, in it for the like girl, the girls and the guys kind of leader. Like we can make queer Jesus fun in a way that isn't like him taking advantage of his followers, basically, because that's what it ends up being. If you're gonna like go the route of Jesus had like whatever relationship you want to say, I I think that's the wrong way to take a look at like um, queer Jesus. Because it does end up being like messy power dynamics and then you have to like take a look at that. And I just, I don't like that route. And to see that, how that would play out on stage is a really, really great example actually of why not to do that. I don't know. I was having a good time. <laughs> I Listen, I said I had a great time watching it. I was also really like, I was like, man, they are making so many choices and I'm having a great time with these choices. Ultimately, I don't think it's a good characterization of the story or even a good characterization of what the musical itself is trying to do. But it was fun. It was fun. If you just sit and listen to the soundtrack 500 times, like, and let the movies play out in your mind, like, no, no visual information given to you. There's just, like, I don't know. I am obsessed with the devotion that they focus on in this story and like in my own in my own twisted little brain i tend to interpret like like the actual moment at last supper of betrayal they have that argument where judas is like about to go when jesus is like when are you going to betray me and Judas is like, you know who's going to betray you. And it like becomes this whole confrontation. And like in my brain, I'm like, oh my God, they talked about this somewhere off stage. They made a plan. And like in Judas's song coming to coming to the Pharisees, he says, you know, like I didn't come here of my own accord. Jesus would be okay with this if he knew that I was here with you. So it's like, I feel like, I don't know, sometime between him talking to the Pharisees and the, you know, and the night of the betrayal, I'm like, somewhere off stage, he told Jesus what he did. And Jesus was like, oh my God, this is how it's supposed to happen? Seriously? And they had a whole big fight about it and it was a mess. And like, just the, like, it was sort of half unplanned half planned because like the whole point of the betrayal is like there could have been no 
redemption for generations to come without the betrayal and just like the implications that that has the layers that has the proof of their bond that that has like the the way that that event just complicates everything that to me is enough for you know my brain to start spinning its wheels when you add on top of that you know the sort of plain ordinary jealousy of i wanted to kiss him first you whore is like it does spoil it a little bit but it also makes it really funny Something that I want to talk about, I guess in general, but something that I really noticed in the Swedish version and that also gets played through in the 73 version and honestly, most of the versions that I even watch just like short clips of is when you're costuming Caiaphas and the other Jewish leaders that are in the show um, using contemporary imagery as like a visual shorthand to be like, oh, these are the Jewish leaders, which has really not great implications. It is very much comes across as anti-Semitic. So the way that they do this is by, in some of the versions, having the people who are representing the formal religious authorities in like beards and hats. In the Swedish version, their robes have They're wearing these gray robes and they have stripes on them and they're also wearing like white scarves. It's evoking the tally and it's like leaning into these what are contemporary symbols of Judaism, putting them into this historical context and then making them the villains. I thought that the Swedish version was especially egregious with this where you had Caiaphas and Annas in the temple itself that they have as like a club casino brothel thing. And like throwing physical dollar bills around, having them be like very money hungry. That's portrayed again with the like way that Judas is paid, especially when you don't have that same imagery for the followers of Jesus, where they are not thematically, like visually thematically connected to the Jewish temple and to the Jewish leaders, that it very much becomes like a villainizing of the Jewish people in this story, which is a thing that happens in Christianity anyway. Very much a pervasive attitude, quote unquote, the Jews killed Jesus, even though it was the Romans, and that the followers of Jesus themselves were Jewish, Jesus was Jewish. The story itself doesn't separate them. The story and the lyrics make it pretty clear that these are connected groups and that they know each other. There's a familiarity within the lyrics, but then visually and staging wise, they become very separate. The Swedish version, I thought, leaned very uncomfortably into that anti-Semitic attitude of like, the Jews are the villains. That was also present in the 1973 version to an extent where they're using some of these costume signals The NBC version doesn't do this. They draw the um, distinction between formal religious leadership, like organized, more organized religious leadership, I guess, and the countercultural movement. They draw a distinction there, but they're still visually part of the same group. They don't aesthetically diverge, but then the Romans are aesthetically diverge. So there's just a lot of baggage and things to unpack, and it's not always done well. And it is present in the musical text with Pilate's song. It leans a little bit, leans more than it should into the, it is a crowd of Jewish people who wanted to crucify Jesus versus 
it was a crowd where probably Jewish people were present, but ultimately it was the decision of Rome and Roman authorities, including Pilate, and he was facing pressure from Roman authorities about Jesus. They really, in that song, kind of, again, point fingers at the Jewish characters, continuing to perpetuate that anti-Semitic reading of the text. So something to be aware of when watching, (laughs) when (laughs) consuming this media. Is there anything else you want to say about the Swedish version? I feel like I kind of ragged on it. I did genuinely enjoy watching it. I did really enjoy the Swedish version. It It's just wild. Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, like, international versions of this production. So it's it doesn't take long to shop around and see, like, how many different versions of this production you'll get. Any any kind of live recording of a show, I do I do love seeing what kind of staging choices they make. Something that always makes me laugh in the seventy three movie are like the shots that they take of people performing a musical number somewhere in the distance, and then it's the back of Jesus's head watching it. Like <laughs> like, like in the seventy three movie, I'm like. You could make that a meme, like just the back of Jesus's head cut into like the middle ground of the shot. <laughs> it's so funny to me. But like, you know, when you're watching the staged version and everyone's on like the same kind of plane together without that without that sense of space, the the feeling changes a lot just, you know, from the medium shift. So that, that's mostly what I was thinking about going back and watching because i i just watched the movie and oh my gosh in the movie a scene that made me laugh so hard is one of those scenes where they're performing for jesus <laughs> but the dancers just materialize <laughs> like yeah <laughs> do you know what i'm talking about they just sort of appear out of nowhere like literally out of nowhere they just sort of like they fade in fade in thank you and then the dance they do i was watching that i'm like this is every contemporary jazz dance i did in high school oh yeah like any you know it's it's a musical so there's the musically things that happen just like the way that the dance numbers get treated in this show is so funny sometimes like Especially with Herod's song, I think, because Dude literally just has one song. He is a one song character, and it's like a funky little, you know. Da, 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 da. It is a strong musical divergence from the rest of the show. Yes. Very random little interlude there. You want to talk 2018? Yeah, let's talk 2018. This is my favorite version that I've seen. It was the first one I watched, and I was like, this is fantastic. I don't know how it can be improved upon in any capacity, and I think I was right. (laughs) (laughs) I did go in with an open mind for other shows, because I was like, this is the only version I've seen. It was was eye-opening with how differently this how much of a different tone this musical can take, depending on those, like, staging and line delivery decisions that we've talked about. So the countercultural movement is like rock. They lean into like a rock punk kind of thing, as well as like queer aesthetics. They have like women who are part of the 12. Oh, yeah. They're like, there's lady apostles now. It's the new era. 
this particular version and interpretation of the musical looks so fun to be a part of. One of my notes says mosh for Jesus. You know that meme of like the strong men shaking hands of the two hands? I said NBC or I said Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar is one hand and the other hand is Christian rock. They are shaking hands on mosh for Jesus. Mosh for (laughs) Jesus. So I thought that was fun. The NBC version, I think, was really, was designed knowing that it was going to a really wide audience. Yeah. Like, they were they were looking for mass market appeal. You don't put John Legend on something if you don't want mass market appeal. My, my one beef with this version, really, is I miss the raspy, like, whaley 70s rock sound in the character voices. That is just that is just not John Legend's voice at all, and I would be more disappointed if he was trying to do that. He's saying as his has his actual voice, which you know was better than trying to do something that's not suited for him. But I love like in Gethsemane the wah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I love that. It just ooh yes, and you know John Legend's beautiful sweet falsetto, wah, like it it's very different. <laughs> I'm not John Legend. Don't don't take that as my impression of him. I <laughs> I had a sinus infection last week, so yeah. you know this this is I don't normally sound like this. Please still cast me in your show. I love that aspect of more '70s styled productions, but I do still in like I enjoy 2018 a lot. It's it's fun to watch. I really liked John Legend as Jesus in the way that he plays him as a character because from the versions that I watched I thought that he had the best understanding of the character the one you liked the best the one that I liked the best (laughs) I will say at least so like for example in the 73 version the guy his voice is great especially the Gethsemane song he like is fantastic But otherwise, I was frankly kind of underwhelmed because there was just like nothing going on facially with Jesus. Yeah. He has the thousand yard stare. So it's really hard to interpret what emotions he's trying to project besides with his voice. But that can that can make it more interesting depending on if you're, you know, if you're leaning into it. But yeah, he's not super outwardly expressive. No. And I guess like a lot of the versions show... And I think this is what I meant when I said, like, it was clearly made for, like, wide appeal. They weren't going to do things that were overly risky. And they were going to paint Jesus in the best light that this musical can. Because it's going out to a wide appeal to a country that is going to have a strong Christian viewership. And they marketed it as, like, an Easter show in 2018. So, (laughs) which is a weird choice. The show ends at Jesus's death and does not touch his resurrection. And Easter is like about the whole yeah. thing, but Jesus's resurrection. So it's weird to advertise it as an Easter show where Jesus does not rise from the dead. <laughs> like it's not it's not like Godspell where they kind of leave it up to the production to decide whether or not you're going to resurrect Jesus at the end. There's not really room for that in Jesus Christ Superstar because it's not like... Jesus isn't really our protagonist in the end. It's Judas. Judas is the one that gets resurrected. He comes back in a final song. So, yeah. But 
even so, they were going to take the route of Jesus has to be nice because it's too, it's too much if we don't resurrect Jesus and also he's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. And it's not that like, it's it's not that the show says Jesus stays dead because it doesn't. It just ends at Jesus's crucifixion. So they don't go the next two days. In an interview, Tim Rice talked about that, where he was like, we're not trying to make a statement, like a theological statement. We're just trying to tell this story from a slightly new angle. So the show just kind of ends at Jesus's crucifixion. Yeah. And so Jesus is nicer in this musical. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, he's not man spreading all over the place like the Swedish Jesus, which was so funny to me. He was just always sitting with legs as far apart as possible. (laughs) God, big dick Jesus. And he's not, like, so his lines are still jarring because of how it's written in the music and because a lot of what Jesus says just is jarring, especially when you're pulling sort of these choice lines out of the Gospel of John. Jesus is a jarring character, but they're also delivered in a way that is like, you understand why people follow him. Right. And you see, I guess when I said, like, at the best understanding, I felt like, John Legend was able to balance a charismatic Jesus and a like caring Jesus and also kind of that like slightly aloof slightly above it that the musical has in the songs in a really good way and that I think other versions that I watched tend to lean really into the aloofness or they don't quite get the charisma part to where you're kind of like, why are all of these people devoted to Jesus? Which can be an interesting take. Um, I think that is one way you could like look at the musical is like, why were all of these people so devoted? But I do think that John Legend's interpretation and acting balances all of those aspects and things that you could lean into for the character um, really well. Yeah. Can we talk about Mary Magdalene? We haven't Yes. We haven't talked about her hardly at all. No. For okay, first of all, is Mary Magdalene a good character in the show? What's your take? Is she a good character? I think I think that she's interesting. <laughs> they take the cultural story of Mary Magdalene, which is that she's a prostitute. That's not in the text. That is a cultural story that has since been told about her. But I think that they play with that idea or they take that idea and use it well in the show. And I think that she's like a stand-in for like different ideas. I don't really know. There's there's this triad of Jesus, Judas, Mary that like drives a lot of the interpersonal conflict in the show. And you have Judas and Jesus disagreeing on a lot of points toward the end in terms of like, how do we handle things? Judas has his own idea about how to like rein in the movement. Jesus is kind of taking this like, I couldn't rein this in. Also, I don't think I'm supposed to. Also, I have this like divine purpose that I need to fulfill, but I can't tell anyone about. So he's this he's in this weird enigmatic position and then mary is like over here seeing him as a super stressed out man with a lot of pressure put on him and she's just trying to alleviate some of that pressure like in a like, in like very simple ways judas and mary both have these like material concerns that they want to address like judas is like we need to help the poor now like the people who are in need need 
you know, need to have their needs met. And that's like part of our duty as like, you know, the message that we're trying to put out. And why would we waste perfume when we could have sold that and raised money and given it to people who need it more than us? But Mary has the material concerns of like, you are stressed out. You need to relax. A person isn't meant to take all of this like pressure at once. So like, let me try to cool down your face a bit. That that kind of take on how to address the needs of a person in an immediate way, like in an in a one to one kind of angle instead of a altruism kind of thing. Which mm-hmm. I like that for her. Like the Jesus is just a guy. That that's a bit more clear with Mary, I think, than with Judas. Yeah, I really like how Mary is a person in this musical who cares deeply about the person of Jesus. Yeah. And is very concerned with taking care of Jesus as a person versus as a leader of a movement. I think that that's that's a really cool thing they do with her character. And I like how what you pointed out with that, how there is this like triad of a very interesting narrative choice by Tim Rice to make Judas, Mary, and Jesus the like center of this story. But how Judas, his concern with like with Jesus is this movement that how he imagined this movement to be in addressing the needs of the people around them. And he's concerned about like, how are we helping people right now? And how are we taking care of all these people? And how are you as a leader following through on your ideals? Right. What are the optics of this? (laughs) Yeah. And that's like Judas's concern. And then Mary's concern is like, how are you being taken care of as a person? Um, And both of them, Mary and Judas are like very grounded in that like taking care of people thing just in like slightly different directions and their concerns about Jesus are kind of what oppose or are the part that's in opposition but they're very similar in the sense that they are like concerned with the very tangible physical things that are happening and they sing the same song and they sing the same song I love that I love it so much because they're both like so caught up with this here is this like man and this like leader and this person that i am so devoted to and i don't know what to do with all of this and i'm just doing my best to love him in the way that i think that i should and for mary that looks like wiping his forehead and anointing him with oil and for judas that looks like calling him out when he thinks that things are getting out of hand like like that being the point of connection between them, the fact that they both sing, I don't know how to love him. I don't see why he moves me. It's like, oh yeah. my God. Like, just, <laughs> that's the thing that really makes me insane about this show is that, like, you have these two different people on different sides of it, but they both have this just intense, devoted connection to Jesus. And one of them is kind of powerless to stop things. And the other one is like, oh God, I'm going to get blamed for this. And I didn't realize the full implications of what I had done to him. I was trying to help him. I was trying to help him. Like, oh my God, (laughs) it's so good. That's what I really love about this show. Like that is what does it for me. So I guess your earlier question is like, 
is Mary a good character? Yeah. Yeah. It's, she's also, it's also just so, in a way that's different from other characters in the show, so far removed from the text. Yeah. Um, I think she's a really interesting stand in for, this is another point of connection for Mary and Judas. They're both kind of stand ins for like, the audience members it's like how how would you respond in these moments and i think that's kind of what the like thought exercise of mary and judas is like is like who would you be like how would you react seems to be the role that they're kind of playing i still don't know if i would call mary a good character though because like she doesn't have the dynamic qualities of judas we don't really see how she changes in the story she doesn't really have the time or room to change she's she's a constant in you know the last days of jesus's life and they have this kind of intimate connection with each other in a few moments like when he wants to withdraw from his role and from the crowds and all of that like mary is one of the people that he goes to in those moments that's nice but we also don't really like we don't 100% see what that means for Mary and we don't really get to see how his death affects her. You know, obviously she's upset. We see her upset, but like we don't really get an aftermath for her because of where the show ends. If the story had extended in a slightly different direction or if Mary had been given a different kind of role, then I think she would be a lot more interesting to watch. And I love her songs. Like, you know, she gets some of the most iconic songs in the show. The ones that are like super singable and recognizable go to her. She's important and she's a, she's an integral part of the show. But it's also like, I don't know, her characterization is super flat in comparison with a lot of the other roles that you get. Like even, you know. Peter doesn't play a huge role, but we even see a shift and change in Peter because of his denial sequence. We don't really get that with Mary. Her feelings don't really change. I think I think we do a little bit, and I agree that it she could have had a bit more development in the end, seeing a little bit more of that, how did this affect her? But I do think we get a little bit of it in the song, Can We Start Again, Please? Yeah, it, it's not in the original, um, it's not in the original production. That was something that was added after the 73 movie. That was, it. yeah, like like whenever you adapt a musical for screen, it's like, you know, a fun little bonus ad to have a new song in that version and that one kind of stuck and it's included in the 2018 version and i like that song but i don't know like i i see her character and i i just feel like there was so much there that we could have gotten into more but just didn't she feels underutilized yeah i think that because of where the musical stops one place where we could really see that is if they took the show a little further and went into Jesus's resurrection. Um, Mary is one of the three women who find the empty tomb and become like the first preachers of the gospel. It is a weakness of where the show ends because I think that that could have been a really powerful direction for her character. Yeah. But they just can't do that because of where they end the show. 
And the only way you see it affect her, like in the 73 movie, Mary has a whole moment at the foot of the cross. <laughs> like when Jesus is getting crucified, Mary has a very intense emotional moment of devastation. Um, and they zoom in real close on Mary's face. But that's really the last that you see of her. If we were Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, this is <laughs> this is my thought for how we can improve the character of Mary and make her a more intentional part of that triad. If we did extend the show into the resurrection, I think that what Mary needs to feel more complete as a character, like Jesus has that moment of being angry with God for getting thrust into something that he didn't start. Judas has that moment of saying, you killed me to God for realizing that he's going to be the one that takes the blame for betraying, killing Jesus. I think that if we extended the show to the resurrection, Mary needs to have that moment of talking to God, being angry with God, and then the resolution of that, seeing Jesus resurrected, and then going to tell everyone else, and the show ends with Mary. I think that would that would make her feel like a more intentional part of that triad. It would give her character like a actual arc instead of just like being a person who loves Jesus and doesn't know how to feel about that and gives us that resolution that we need for her. That's just that's just me being a genius, but you know. <laughs> I agree that that would be a a very great ending. And that yeah, Mary is missing that like angry talking to Jesus song and I wonder if in an imaginary world where we're staging this play if can we start again please was sung angrily and if that like with the text that we already have not adding to it but can we start again please being a really angry song for mary and she's sort of it's it is kind of like a group piece but mary and peter are very like center stage for that song and if mary was like really center stage for that song and was like what the fuck is this about i'm pissed off it's implied that she's singing to jesus but if she was singing to god if peter and mary were singing to god i think you've made your point now <laughs> like, yeah so there's that too we're geniuses we need to start <laughs> staging productions immediately Ugh. i was singing this in my car all week like through my through my raspy little sinus infection voice, I was trying to hit those notes. Oh. <laughs> Thankfully, Mary Mary is an alto role, so I could almost do it. <laughs> good for her. <laughs> good for her for being like an alto role with good songs. I'm so happy for her. <laughs> Can we just briefly talk about how stunning Sarah Bareilles is in the 2018 version? Ah, yes, she's just stunning. I just. <laughs> Like, I love Sarah Bareilles. She was my girl when I was learning what music was on my own yes. at 13 years old or whatever. Absolutely same. And, like, the fact that she is, like, a self-taught singer and she has this beautiful, warm, raspy quality to her voice that she just brings to Mary is so great. Like, she really suits the role. Mm -hmm. It works so well for her. I love Sarah Perales. <laughs> oh, she was so good in it. I The highlight of every single Jesus Christ Superstar production is Judas is always the best singer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's a bit of a left turn from talking about how amazing Sarah Perales is, and she is. 
No, yeah, but but far and away, because the show is the show is really about Judas, and he's the real main yeah. character. He's the role that you want, so he's got to be the best one up there. Judas in the NBC version is so good, amazing, just incredible voice, incredible acting. I really love the way that he does the phrasings in his song, like even even just like little interjections. It just oh, it works so well. It's just so solid. Ooh, you know what I would love to do as our imaginary staging of this play? What? I think that leaning, and I think this would be especially powerful with like current legislative directions that are happening in our country. A powerful aesthetic choice for the show would be to lean heavily into like queer aesthetics for the like Jesus followers. I think would be a lot of fun. And there's like shows that kind of already do that. The NBC version kind of does that. It's really subtle. Yeah. But I think a really intentional kind of go in that direction would be really fun. Um, and I'm surprised that that hasn't been done before from what I can tell. Oh. If it has been done, it's on a smaller well, stage. I have good news for you. Because, <laughs> because um, there is a... It's not necessarily full production. It's more just like a stage performance of the show. There is a version of Jesus Christ Superstar where... Um... <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, let, me, let me see if I can like find the actual link for it. And let, and let me make sure it's actually Jesus Christ Superstar and not Godspell. Oh, no. Okay. It is Jesus Christ Superstar. But... Emily and Amy from the Indigo Girls star in it as um, Mary and Jesus. And it's probably the gayest Jesus Christ superstar out there. There's like a pro shot recording that came out on video cassette in 1996. (laughs) But that one is a pretty gay Jesus Christ superstar. I'm so sorry that I didn't remember it before we started recording. I would have, you know said you need to watch this one but it's it's so fun (laughs) i mean i knew that i i knew that i absolutely was not the first person to think that so it's not surprising that one exists out there i am surprised that a larger staged production of it doesn't exist out there somewhere but i'm glad to know that um this other one does demon records 1994 studio cast there's the cast recording cd and then there's the pro shot recording but yeah, Lady Jesus, lesbian Lady Jesus, it exists. <laughs> Might have to give that a listen then. It's great. <laughs> All right. Any closing thoughts? That's exactly what I was about to ask. Um, closing thoughts. I, I guess I want to um, reiterate for those who are diving into Jesus Christ Superstar or who have and I've never seen it or have maybe only seen one version that I think that this show is best appreciated when you see a few versions of it because you can see how dynamic it is. And I think that's why this is a show that keeps getting um, done. It's one of the shows that gets done over and over and over again. And every staging is wildly different because you can really choose the direction you want to take the show And you can choose a lot about how the characters are portrayed and you can change a lot about the story even, as we talked about with the Swedish version, to to say different things and to bring different nuances to the story that's being told. Um, Jesus Christ Superstar lends itself to these really dramatic reinterpretations in a way that a lot of other musicals don't. 
um, to where if you tried to do that with a lot of other musicals, it would feel really off and it probably wouldn't work. Um, There's some out there that you can kind of do that with. Like it was done successfully with Oklahoma. Um, But even that I would say was a risk, but it paid off. This one, this one scans like Shakespeare, though, where you can really yeah. like where you can really take some creative freedom with it and do interesting stuff. Exactly. So, it's it's very high praise, but I I don't think it's undeserved. I there's there's so much here, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you have any closing thoughts? My closing thought is um, I thought for years and years and years that one of the lines in King Herod's song was Jesus Christ, superstar, who in the hell do you think you are? (laughs) There's no line in the show where someone asked Jesus who the hell he thinks he is. And that makes me sad because it would be really funny. It would be a good anachronism. (laughs) I don't know where my brain got that from. I guess it's the same number of syllables. So it scans. But I fully believe that that was a thing for years. And I'm always surprised when I can't find the line when I listen to it. I mean, that makes sense because that works there. And it is kind of hard to understand what they're saying. It's a little bit of a tongue twister <laughs> in the way that they sing that. It's like, na 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 are you who? You who? <laughs> Tell us that you're who you say you are. or It's something like, are like you that. who they do yeah it's like do you say you're who they say you are like some, yeah some really <laughs> bullshit sentence like <laughs> like no one speaks this way who in the hell no. do you think you are writing this line like that <laughs> maybe maybe an r special special version of jesus christ superstar we'll we'll give king herod that line because i think he's the one who deserves it Pilot, it just wouldn't it just wouldn't land the same way. You know? No. He's bitchy, but he's not like fun bitchy. Um Yeah. I think that does it. Alright. I guess we'll do a little outro. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us at sacrilegiositypod at gmail.com or find us on twitter at sacrilegiosity Um, you could find me on twitter at at am underscore dolan and you can find me at wasp palisades if you want to follow our personals Um, mostly complain about work on there so I can't like recommend it but it's there for you if you want it Um. yeah (laughs) And if we get any, if we start getting any listener questions, I think it would be great to respond to them at the end of the podcast. So if you want us to have a more stable outro routine, then (laughs) by all means, ask us some, ask us some listener questions. We'd love to answer them. Yeah. Send us your questions, your recommendations. Yes. If we got anything wrong, yeah, you can send, tell us that we're wrong. Address all complaints to sacrilegiositypod at gmail.com. Um, <laughs> we'll definitely read them because there's not much else in that inbox right now. 
anything is there anything else we should include <laughs> hosanna hey zanna zanna hosanna hey zanna hosanna we'll sing them out <laughs> <laughs>